Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 24. The Bible said, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll add your blessings to the reading of thy word. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, and may the will of God be done tonight, and we'll love you, we'll praise you, and we'll thank you for it, for we do ask it in Jesus' name. We do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach tonight on this subject, on the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. When you come to Matthew chapter number 16, we find here that Jesus all throughout this chapter is talking about faith. In verses one through four, he talks about no faith. In verses five through 12, he talks about little faith. As he asked the disciples that, oh ye, or said that to them, a little faith. And then in verses 13 down through verse number 20, he talks about saving faith. And in our text tonight, he talks about serving faith, about following Christ. Now it takes faith to be saved, but it also takes faith to follow Jesus and to be a disciple. Amen? Uh, the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so Jesus is going to talk about discipleship uh, in these verses tonight. The call of discipleship. You know, it's one thing to be saved, but it's another thing to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know in essence that when we get saved, we become a disciple, a follower, a believer of Jesus Christ, but true discipleship is going to cost every one of us something. When we think about that in this text tonight, Christ gives us a few things that concerning discipleship that I want to give us and then we'll be done. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number 24 the requirements concerning discipleship. The requirements concerning discipleship. The Bible says in verse 24, then said Jesus unto his discipleship or his disciples. Now the first requirement in discipleship is that you do have to be a disciple. Amen. Jesus said this unto his disciples. We notice the disciples. I think one reason we have some people in churches today that are so miserable in church is because they've never been saved. Amen. There's tares amongst the wheat. And so church is nothing more than a religious formality. They come to church week in and week out. Uh, listen, they're miserable as miserable can be because they're trying to do something in the energy of the flesh that is unnatural to themselves. I tell you, when a man gets born again, he becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has a desire to want to serve God and to want to follow Jesus Christ. And so the requirements of discipleship is first you have to be a disciple. And then secondly, we see the declaration here as Jesus says, if any man. Notice in this phrase here, he said if any man. That's the declaration concerning discipleship. You say, what is the requirement? The requirement is anybody that wants to follow Jesus and is willing to follow Jesus can follow Jesus. Amen. I'm not a Calvinist. Not an ounce of Calvinism in me. And I say that without apology. Calvinism is on the rise 
and, and making a resurge in these last days that we're living in. It's another false teaching and false doctrine that's being propagated throughout even our independent fundamental churches. But I want to tell you tonight, if you believe the Bible, you're not going to be a Calvinist. Amen? Because nobody ever became a, started believing in Calvinism from reading the Bible. They started believing in Calvinism from reading after other Calvinists. Isn't that right? But I want to tell you, the Bible gives this declaration. If any man, if you want to be saved tonight, you can be saved. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can be a disciple. The Bible says, if any man. Notice the disciples, the, 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 the declaration. And then notice the decision here. The Bible said, if any man will come after me. You gotta be willing to follow Jesus. I know that God came, took the initiative in salvation. I know that he came to where I was. I, I like that old song that Squire Parsons sings that the gulf that separated me from God was, was too far and he said that when I could not come to, to where he was, he came to me. I know that God took the initiative and long before Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus uh, to pass by that way, Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus uh, but it does not alleviate man from the responsibility that he has uh, that if he wants to be saved, he's going to have to come. Amen? God is not going to storm the door of your heart. He's not going to arrest your soul. He's not a Calvinist. He's not going to go against your will. He's not going to make you get saved. He's not going to make you serve him. I'm telling you, friend, if you serve him tonight, you're going to have to make a conscious choice, a conscious decision that you're willing to come after him. Amen? Notice here the decision. And then there's the denial. Notice what he said. He said, and take up his cross. You know, when you think about the cross, Jesus uses the cross in this text to separate it from that of burdens in life. Burdens are something that we have no control over. Burdens come in our life and sometimes uh, we are uh, uh, burdens come in our life and we just have to bear those burdens but the cross is something that a man has to be willing to take up and in this text here it was a total denial to serve Jesus to be a disciple meant death. It meant that that man was willing to deny himself. I remember one writer made this statement uh, uh, in a book. He said this. He said, when you see a man that's going outside of town carrying a cross, uh, he said, there's one thing you can be guaranteed of. You, when you see that man carrying that cross outside of town, you can guarantee yourself that he's not coming back. Amen? Because to carry that cross uh, meant death. It meant denial. It meant that his life was over with. And Jesus said, if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. You've got to be willing to put self on the cross and crucify the flesh. Paul said that in Galatians 2 and verse number 20. He said, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he shall live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm talking about total surrender. We're talking about yielding ourselves to God. We're talking about letting him have his way with us. We're talking about following him. Not our will, but thine will be done. We're talking about denial when we talk about discipleship. We see here, deny himself and take up his cross, the death of that. You know what a cross is? It's an eye crossed out. And when someone takes up the cross, they're totally denying themselves. We don't have a lot of 
Christians today that's willing to deny themselves. The picture is this, that it gives us that difference between the burden and the cross, as I said. Burdens we have to bear. Crosses are a choice that we make to pick up. We choose to serve God. We choose to take up the cross. It's a conscious choice. God does not put the cross upon our back, but we're willing to be identified with it. We're willing to be identified with Christ. We're willing to surrender our will. The person is that it is his cross. Let him take up his cross. Everyone has a cross. We all have that place of self-denial in our own life. You see, you can't go off somebody else's surrender and I can't go off somebody else's surrender you can be around great Christians that have surrendered their life to the will of God and they're living for Jesus but you and I for ourselves, we have to come to a place in our life where we die out to the flesh where we die out to what we want in this life we die out to our ambition and our goals and we're willing to do the will of God more than anything else you don't have to be a preacher to do that you don't have to be a, a Sunday school teacher to do that, a missionary, an evangelist. I want to say this morning or this evening, every Christian is being called upon to take up the cross, the pain. It was a burdensome and disgraceful thing. It speaks of self-sacrifice. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. It's all about self-sacrifice. You know, our churches are hurting today because people don't want to sacrifice. Brother, I'm telling you, one of the things that, that we are burdened and praying and, and working toward in this church is, and thank God we've got young people and young couples tonight that, that are, are, are willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. But uh, listen, I want to say, uh, listen, if a church doesn't have people coming up behind, it will die. You have heard, uh, uh, you've heard people say, well, I remember when that church had its heyday. I don't want that to be said about this place. But if we sit around and just enjoy what we have and we don't train and we don't teach and we don't, we don't pass down the, the baton, I'm not talking about the pastor and I'm not talking about the Sunday school teacher, but I'm talking about if moms and dads don't sacrifice and, and don't put their, uh, listen, don't be the example and don't teach their children and, and instill that in them, I'll tell you, one day they'll be gone. You see, if you treat your service lightly, your children will treat it even lighter. You gotta teach them when they're coming up, never miss the house of God. Don't miss church. Don't miss it for a football game or a baseball game. Amen. You don't stay home on Wednesday night to do homework. Somebody say amen. Because you just teach them homework's more important than the house of God. I've heard that all my life down through the years as a pastor. Well, you know, I'd have been there Wednesday night, but Johnny had to do his homework. Let him get an F on Thursday. Come on. It's not going to be the first F he's got, I promise you. Why? He's a straight A student. Well, one F, uh, listen, one F because you took him to the house of God on Wednesday night, uh, and I don't believe it anyway if you just want to know the truth about it, amen? It's just an excuse that's given. Uh, I'm telling you, mama, I'm telling you, daddy, if you take, take, uh, keep them at home on Wednesday night uh, to do their homework, uh, you're going to get an F at the judgment seat what's going to happen, amen? Because you taught them uh, that that's more important than going to the house of God. Uh, I'm telling you the F they need, uh, is the faith enough to believe that if they go on to God, go on to the house of God, God will take care of them. And if they'll study, they won't make an F, amen. That's right. I'm just, I don't know why I got on that, but I sure am not glad I didn't, amen, if you can figure that word out. <laughs> I'm telling you tonight, self-sacrifice. You know what the hindrance to a lot of young people is today? Parents. Parents. 
It's not the, it's not the wild child down the street. I know it's hitting a stump right now. But I'm telling you, I've seen it before. The reason some kids don't serve God is because their parents won't get this sacrifice. They won't sacrifice. They won't pay the price. Well, preacher, I work a job as if you're the only person that's ever worked a job. Well, preacher, I don't like that kind of preaching. Well, I can't help it. I'm obligated to tell you the truth. Amen. I'm just telling you, listen, don't stick your lip out at me tonight. I'm just telling you, hey, you got to sacrifice. I'm telling you, I'd rather my kids be a little bit on the dumb side, and they're not, thank God, and thank their mom for that. But I'd rather be a little bit on the dumb side and have a whole lot of knowledge about this book and serving God. And no, they may not be a theologian. Amen but they got some convictions, they got some standards, they got some beliefs, and they know how to serve God. Hallelujah. Well, I want Johnny to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> well, it probably ain't gonna happen. You know, I went to school with a boy. Straight A's all the way, school, all the way through. And we went to school together. He rode the same bus that I rode. And I know he was a straight-A student because I copied his paper a whole lot of times. <laughs> I made good grades when I sat next to Charles. <laughs> when Charles was out, we both suffered. <laughs> he went on to, to be great in education. Got a tremendous job in engineering. And God greatly has used or has, has blessed his intellect. But I was preaching in a church and Charles came. I hadn't saw him since, since middle school. And I was standing there talking to him. I said, man, it's so good to see you. I said, I said but when did, you, when did you get saved? And he dropped his head and he said, I'm not saved. I said, well, Charles, I said, is there anything keeping you from getting saved? He said, I don't, I don't really know if God's real. And I'm going to tell you in that, and I'm not in that, in that, in that little moment of time standing there. I'm not as smart as Charles. I'm not belittling Charles in what I'm saying. I'm not as smart as him. But I wouldn't trade what I know tonight for everything he knows. I've been praying he would get saved. Got a burden for him to get saved. From time to time, I'm in that area and I asked some of his family, as Charles got saved, I don't want him to go to hell. I'm telling you, there's more to life than, than a good education. And you know I'm good. I'm for a good education. And you ought to make good grades if you go to school. I'm just saying, don't, have, don't put the education of this secular world above the education of this book and going to the house of God. I'm just saying that we ought to have a desire to sacrifice so that our children will be good disciples. The devotion, follow me. That's the requirements. Are you willing to follow him anywhere, everywhere that he asks you to? Are you willing to do the will of God? The requirements. And then there's the rule concerning discipleship. Notice in verse 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. The rule of discipleship has to do with our lives because it's really what discipleship is all about. 
It's about living for Christ. And he talks about the saving of our lives. For whosoever will save his life, the squandering of life shall lose it. If you try to save your life, how, how does a person save their life? I'll tell you how they save their life. When they try to keep their life to themselves and use it for what they think it ought to be used for, they try to, to save their life as if they're saving money for a, for a special day, for, for something that they want. Well, I'm going to keep my life I'm going to save my life. I'm not going to give my life to serving God. I sure don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be some preacher's wife. I mean, I've seen how that goes. The burdens of the ministry, the problems in the ministry. I'm just going to, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. That's saving your life, friend. And if you try to save it, the Bible says you'll squander it. You'll lose your life. But then there's the surrendering of our life. He said in verse 25, for whosoever will lose his life for my sake are you willing to surrender your life you see the question whenever the first question that comes to a person's heart is heaven or hell what's it going to be that's the first question when you're lost it's a question between heaven and hell will you go to heaven or will you go to hell but the second question in a person's life after they get saved is about heaven and earth. What are you going to live for? Are you going to live for, for heaven? Are you going to live for eternal rewards? Are you going to live for the world to come? Are you going to live for earth, earthly things, an earthly life? Are you going to live for the here and now or the sweet by and by? I'm telling you, if you're saved tonight and you've answered the question between heaven and hell, now you must answer the question between heaven and earth. What is your life? It's just a vapor that appeared for a little while and then it vanishes away. They will only have one life and it'll soon be passed and only what's done for Christ is what's going to last. I'm talking about the saving of life, the squandering of life, but what about the surrendering of life? Take your life and take it out of your hands and put it in the hands of God and say, dear God, here's my life and I don't lose it for your sake and you do what you want to, how you want to, when you want to. And then there's the satisfaction of our lives. We find it. You know, I didn't get up one day and say, I'm going to be a preacher. In fact, when God called me to preach, I, I, I said to myself, there's no way I can preach. And if I, at that moment, I didn't, I didn't know all that God, obviously that God was going to do. But looking back, I can tell you tonight, if I, only because it's the will of God, I would rather be a preacher as anything I know tonight. Now, if you're not called to preach, you, you wouldn't have a desire and you shouldn't have a desire. I'm telling you, but if God calls you, it's the greatest thing in the world. If he doesn't call you and you try to preach without that call in your life, uh, you'll be miserable. I, I'm telling you, I, I knew a man one time that he told me, he said, boy, every time I have to preach, he said, I, I just dread it. I, he said, I, I don't have no desire to want to preach. He said, I, I get so nervous. And, and he said, I, and I get nervous when, when it comes preaching time. Every preacher gets nervous, but this man said, uh, it's just, he said, ever since the day I started preaching, he said, I've always dreaded it. It's not that way. If you're called, it's all you think about. Time you get out of bed till you go, but you think about preaching. You see sermon after sermon. 
I'm talking about finding your life. What, what is the will of God? You're not to, maybe you're here tonight, it's not the will of God for you to be a preacher, but maybe it's to work that job and be that husband to raise that godly fam family. Have you found it? If that's what God wants you to do, then do that. I remember I was preaching for a man one time who had a business and he pastored a church and he wanted to go full time and, and every time he tried three times to go full time, every time he would just shut his business down and go full time, his church would start nosediving. Every, he'd have to go back to work and when he would go back to work, his church would start doing better but he always felt guilty because he was working this job and pastoring this church and we were eating lunch one day and he was just telling me, he said, I, he said, I just feel, he said, I just always feel guilty and I, I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. Is it guilt or is it conviction? I said, I'll tell you the difference. I said, if it's conviction, you'll know the Holy Spirit's telling you that. He said, no, it's not conviction, it's guilt. I said, have you ever thought about the fact that God blessed you with that business? He's given you that business. You're a third generation in that business. And if he didn't tell you to leave that business, it must be the will of God. I said, I'd work my business and pastor my church. You see, God didn't carbon copy every man's life and ministry. Everybody don't have to be full time. Everybody don't have to be doing a certain thing. It don't all have to be this way. God works in an individual basis. He has a different plan, a different will for people's life. And everything's not cookie cutter and thank God it's not. But you find what God's will is for your life or you let the will of God find you. And when it finds you, you won't lose your life. You'll find your life right there in the center of God's will. If you know you're in the center of God's will tonight, I'm telling you the best thing you can do is stay put and stay there and do what you're doing right now and don't worry about tomorrow and don't worry about next week and it doesn't matter who comes along and says why. You just stay in the center of God's will because you found your life. Hallelujah. And you know that. There's the rule, the success. And then we notice the riches concerning discipleship. Look at verse 26. For what... Is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what the Bible teaches is in this verse? It has to do with both salvation and discipleship. We've heard it applied many times. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Die without God and go to hell. What shall he give in exchange for his soul? The soul of man never dies. It's the most important part of every one of us tonight. Our body will perish, but our soul is eternal tonight. And you think about your soul tonight, it's going to live forever and ever and ever. It's either going to live forever in heaven or in hell. A hundred years from now, none of us will be here. We'll be gone. One hundred years from now, we'll all be in eternity. You're either going to be in one of the two places, friend, heaven, or you're going to be in hell. Now, I want to tell you all the money and all the popularity or all the, the, the material things that we could ever gain in this life, well, we'll just leave it all behind. I, I'm telling you, uh, our cars, our, our houses, uh, I'm telling you, uh, our clothes, uh, all the little things that we've gathered along, the sentimental things along life's way, they'll wind up on a, in a goodwill somewhere, or they'll wind up in a hand-me-down place somewhere, or they may wind up in a garbage can somewhere. They're all going to perish one day. Somebody else will take it over 
over and it'll be gone. I'm telling you, and will be gone. For it's certain we brought nothing into this life and we're taking nothing out with us. I'll tell you what every man is taking with him. He's taking his soul, amen? And it's either heaven or it's hell tonight. Where are you gonna spend eternity? Where will you be a hundred years from right now? And when it comes to discipleship, this is what this verse teaches, is that discipleship cannot be about profit. It cannot be about gain. It cannot be about the world. And it cannot be about exchange. When you think about it tonight, the three great valuables in this verse is the world. The world is great tonight. The world that we live in, God created it. It's marred and scarred by sin, but I want to tell you tonight, God created this world. And the world is great. I'm not talking about its system. But if you've ever stood on the top of a mountain and looked over a valley, isn't the world great? I mean, if you've ever seen the snow after it's fallen and covered the hills and the meadows and the trees and you see the handiwork of God if you've ever seen the sunrise or a sunset I'm telling you the other morning a few days back probably a couple three weeks ago I was sitting there and the sun was coming up that, that morning and I'll tell you I, I was sitting there in the living room and, and on this side the, the, the window uh, looking out it was red it was just bright red and on this side out this window where it had not quite peeked through it was purple on this side uh, and it was dark underneath and I looked at both of that and I thought, man, there is no artist that could ever paint a canvas any more beautiful. This world is great. You know why it's great? Because God created it, even with a curse on it. I'm telling you, when I look and I see rivers running and waters crashing, waves crashing, the ocean, I look at the vastness of all of that and I say, man, this world is great. It's great because of its creator. Everything God ever did is good and it's great. Amen. The world's great. The soul is greater than the world, you see. Your soul is more valuable tonight than the globe that's beneath your feet and the stars that's above your head. Your soul is more valuable to God than all the stars. And Christ like love is even greater. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me say this in closing tonight. Not only do we see the riches, but notice the reward. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. The reward of discipleship in this verse has to do with the coming of the Son, the crowning of the saints, and the conditions of service. At the end of this day, we should ask ourselves, pastor included, we should do inventory of our life. Am I a true disciple? I'll be honest with you, I studied this text and I thought about the cost of discipleship. And I had to say, Lord, I'm certainly not the disciple that I want to be and that I ought to be. But there may be somebody here tonight as we stand you're not saved. You don't know Jesus tonight. You're not a disciple because you've never been born again. There may be somebody here tonight. We all can say that we failed, but there may be somebody here that would say, Preacher, I'll be honest with you. I just not surrendered. Maybe there's an area of your life that the Holy Spirit spoke to you about you've not surrendered. 
Maybe it's your life in general. But you need to surrender your will to God's will. Don't try to play in your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide you through that.